Wow, it's a little early for ice cream. <laughs> it's never too early for ice cream, Jim. Run, Forrest, run! Is butter a carb? Welcome back to the Eat Healthy, Live Healthy podcast. I'm Jillian O'Neill, the founder of Eat, Train, Love, New York City. I am so grateful to share the mic with my lovely friend and co-host, Emma. I'm Emma, the founder of Back to Basic Nutrition. As registered dietitians and personal trainers, we will provide you with science-based, sustainable wellness tips to suit any lifestyle. Whether you've been on your wellness journey for some time now or just getting started, we're excited to have you join us as you take control of your health, feel inspired to eat one more veggie a day, or simply just grab a snack and listen to a few health nuts talk. We hope you feel inspired to eat healthy so you can live healthy. We are so excited to have Dr. Jamie, a licensed psychologist, with us today to talk about all things mental health. We have gathered the most asked questions from our community, and Jillian and I throw in our favorites as well. Dr. Jamie, we cannot wait to learn from you. But first, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am like Jillian in New York City. I was born and raised on Long Island, and I came to Manhattan for my undergrad at NYU and have never left since. Um, I know I will probably have to at some point because space and money just aren't, aren't, um, you know, too, too big here, but, um, I, until I'm forced out, I think I'll stay in the city. I, I'm a true city girl at heart. Um, what else can I tell you about myself? So I went to NYU. I then went to St. John's for my doctoral degree in Queens. So again, pretty like New York city based. Um, and I know you asked not about my career, but did training and, um, did training and various clinical experiences, um, also in various places in New York and actually ended up doing my internship, my doctoral internship in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which was not ever part of my New York plan, but a really cool experience um, and seemingly um, fateful because I'm also like the biggest dessert, chocolate, sweets, aficionado yes. that there could ever be so my friends although it was like very unexpected if you're not familiar but uh, the psych doctoral internship works like a residency match the way if you've heard of like any med school friends um so it's this really bizarre stressful process where you know like you're ranking sites and they're ranking you and you just like gotta hey this is where you're going for the next year um and mine was like the chocolate capital. So I think not as, as unexpected as it was, because I think it was the only out of state, like, you know, out of tri-state area, although Pennsylvania is not too far um, type of place. I think my friends and family were like, well, that's perfect. You're yeah. in the chocolate world. Um, so that was a really cool experience. Um, otherwise, I am a big reader. I enjoy cooking. I am... Um, always working out as well um probably have plenty of questions for you about my fitness routine <laughs> yeah. um, that'll be our next call yeah, yeah. Absolutely. generally speaking we know it's important to always reference the appropriate and specific terminology regardless of the topic of discussion so when our community here is talking about mental health we know it's even more important to set the stage and those ground rules some people say mental health issues some people say unhealthy mental health some people say mental illness. So Dr. Jamie, can you let us know what's the best terminology to use when someone is working on their mental health and how can we ensure that we use the best lingo now in our conversation and then moving forward? This is a good question. I don't think there's necessarily one right answer, uh, but generally I would say something along the lines of, I try to be positive. So phrasing it as mental health rather than mental illness or mental issues or mental suffering. Um, but that's then sometimes you want to reference specific disorders. And I would say something like living with anxiety or living with depression or experiencing anxiety or depression. Um, I tend to steer away from like suffering from in the sense that um, you know, like an, any medical diagnosis, you don't say someone is like suffering from diabetes, right? You just, they have diabetes or they're living with diabetes or suffering from high blood pressure. Like you wouldn't say that, right? So um, I try to use those same principles, but I also 
um, try to really tailor everything to the, an individual that I'm working with. So those are maybe some general when we're talking to like a community, those would be my guidelines, but individuals, um, my best recommendation is to ask how they prefer um, whatever they may be experiencing to be how they might want it to be referenced um, or, you know, or discussed. Um, I've certainly had a lot of learning moments in, in those situations and even things that were part of my training. And then, you know, I was trained to, to think or to express things a certain way, but then individuals actually don't like that. So, um, for example, I do a lot of work with individuals on the autism spectrum and I was always taught to phrase it like that, right? Rather than say autistic individuals or, um, so that's, mm -hmm. you know, person first language. Um, and then some people themselves say I'm autistic or would, or prefer to, to, um, be, you know, referenced in that way. Um, so it's, I always say, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask and it's, it shows, you know, that you're trying to respect and, um, you know, defer to, to the individual and their preferences. That's great. Totally yeah. case per case, right? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be Good. While diving into this conversation, we're starting off with an easy question. Um, what inspired you to be in the line of work you are now and mentioning you work with those young children and other um, mental issues going forward? Why did you want to go into this work? Mm -hmm. uh, I think initially I was definitely inspired by my mom, who's a special education teacher. So I was always sort of drawn to learning more about children with differences, children with, you know, different needs in the classroom and just learning more about that. I remember like being so excited if she would ever take me to work with her and I got to like be a helper or something. I always just found some, some connection with her students. Um, so I definitely wanted to learn more about that. I guess in the beginning, um, I thought, you know, working with kids in some capacity, not quite wanting to be a teacher, um, but wanting to be some sort of helping professional in their lives. And then I think just taking psychology courses and having experiences as an undergrad, it kind of took off from there. Um, so I was sort of continually inspired by the training and experiences I was having to ultimately pursue, you know, the full career path and a lot of education that it requires. Um, wow. Yeah. Seems like a ton of education. Yeah, it's a long road. Yeah. <laughs> Programs are long. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so saying you work with children, is that like your specialty in the field or do you have a specialty? Yeah, that's definitely my specialty. Uh, that's not, doesn't mean that's what I exclusively do. Um, and I mean, all things considered, I'm still pretty early in my career. So certainly building and expanding and continuing to develop, even though you know, you like get out with your degree and you're like, I could do it all. I'm like, you can't. Um, and everyone suffers from horrible imposter syndrome. And I'm sure maybe that's, you experience that as well. Um, so that's definitely a specialty that I have just generally ch child and adolescent psychology and development. And then even within that, as I mentioned, the autism spectrum and neurodevelopmental disorders field is an expertise that I have. Um, that being said, I also work with teenagers and young adults who are typically developing and going through what we might think of as more general mental health, you know, issues, life transitions, um, more sort of that general psychotherapy support type of work. Um, so a little bit of a little bit of both. I like to have a, a sense of everything in a way, but um, I think people definitely do have specializations and within the field. I think um, for me, it was helpful maybe to come out with more of a specialty and like narrow that down in the couple of years since I've been licensed working within that niche. And just now I'm starting to like re-branch re out. So, you know, when you go through your training, it's sort of very general and you get to do a little bit of everything. And then that's really overwhelming when you graduate. And it's also really hard to then get experience in things that you're not experienced in because no one wants to hire you like that. <laughs> so, so the best path I have found is to, is to develop my expertise and then use what I've learned from that and what I take with me to then, to then generalize it to other populations and other work. Um, and even though those populations and other 
maybe disorders or other issues or other things that we're dealing with could be seemingly so different. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of the skills I've developed and approaches that I use can be applied to many, many different individuals, families and work that I do. Um, but I was able to kind of hone those skills within this like sort of sort of niche that I have. Um, and now I feel a little more comfortable <laughs> moving forward and, and um, pursuing things that, you know, again, that I got a taste of maybe in training, but now I can look to explore and expand on it and see if it's something that I kind of want to add to my repertoire. Go into it. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of the different like niches or different areas that you can go in with your career, I'm sure working with the kids or working with a variety of patients, you may not be their only healthcare professional. And so do you find that in your field, you're often pinging other healthcare professionals to help treat the same patient? Is it common? Is it different depending upon the specialty? Yeah, I think it's really common. I hope it's really common. I think that's definitely best practice. Uh, definitely what I do, I would say, you know, maybe most obviously is that I would collaborate with psychiatrists if there's a medication involved. Um, that being said, most of my clients and, and people that I work with are not on medication. So um, that's not necessarily who I'm in contact most frequently, but it definitely depends, depends on the case. Of course, with, with kids and teenagers, I'm, I am really open to working with schools and their teachers and the people that they spend time with the most. Um, of course, their family members um, is really important to incorporate as well. I would say with um, the younger kids I work with, I do a lot of crossover with occupational therapists, mm -hmm. speech pathologists, um, and, and really supporting that developmental approach when I'm working um, with those kids and families. And then I think with more of like older adolescents, young adults, again, with more when I'm doing sort of that more generalized therapy, it's probably less common maybe to, to have, you know, as much contact with other clinicians, but certainly when it's indicated, um, it's something that's helpful and important and, and ensures, you know, continu continuity of care and best practice. Everyone is bringing something to the table about that client, right? So it's, it's easy to feel nervous or inadequate in that moment, but you're bringing another piece to it. Um, you know, even if it's simply just your time with them and the relationship you have, that's all, all data and all pieces of information that's important. 2020 has been such an unpredictable year, and it's obviously changed things for many people, including their mental health. Um, and we're just wondering if you feel like this will contribute to any change within your field. Yeah, uh, I think potentially one of the little gems that 2020 brought us <laughs> that there does seem to be more talk about mental health, probably because it, it was so compromised <laughs> during this year. Um, and so I, I definitely feel like there's just more nuggets out there about, about mental health initiatives. Um, certainly seen it pop up specifically related to COVID and the pandemic. But even before that, it was definitely starting. I know I, like Michael Phelps ads everywhere, right? And, and like mm -hmm. all these different companies that are bringing more accessibility. So I think that it is moving in a positive direction. I don't know, you know, how, I don't know if the sort of stigma and um, the barriers will ever completely go away. I hope, you know, that, that that's certainly what we're working towards. Um, and I think there, there is progress that we're making and of course much more to be made. I also think um, in terms of new trends and where the field is going also provided by COVID is telehealth and teletherapy. So again, that's huge um, in terms of accessibility as well and potentially, um, you know, deducing, um, you know, decreasing barriers to treatment for some people. Um, some, some people absolutely hate it and some people think it's life changing and feel like, hey, now between my meetings, if I truly have 45 minutes, I can actually get a therapy session rather than you really need more like an hour and a half by the time you travel to an office and have your 45 minute session and then travel somewhere, you know, travel back to work. You can't do that on a lunch break, whereas telehealth, you really can. Um, so depending again on the individual and needs, um, it's, it's a positive step um, for me, you know, when working with my, with my younger kid, with my younger clients, um, it's been a mix, uh, definitely tougher 
with younger kids than with, you know, speaking to a young adult on, you know, on a telehealth platform and, and doing sort of talk therapy, play therapy doesn't have quite the same effect, but there, there's definitely been, again, some glimmers of positive developments. So even just the fact that I'm sort of more present in their home and I get to see like what their space is like, what materials they have that we can then creatively use in a therapeutic way. Um, I get to see more family members, which is which is great. Um, seeing more siblings and sibling interactions, which is huge that, you know, when rather than when a mom takes a kid to therapy for 45 minutes once a week, I don't I don't have access to all of that. So it has definitely opened up a door or a few in that way that um, changes things, but in a lot of ways it could be positive. And I think um, there's even some sort of when things go back to normal, part of me would, would still invite um, the opportunity to still have some virtual sessions once in a while to have that home connection, which I think is, is really interesting and really important. Um, and something to continue to explore, even thinking about, you know, sort of challenges that I might be evaluating. Um, a lot of times I don't see that in my office because I'm sort of like a nice lady that you talk to. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and then the mom says like, well, you should see him at home. <laughs> and, and I don't get to see it because a lot of times, you know, in a one-on-one -on -one environment where I'm often following a child's lead, it's really different. So, you know, having sort of even just an observation in the home setting with through video offers some really unique opportunities. Um, and again, for, for older clients, it's just a, a logistic issue, an accessibility issue that I think is pretty well served by this. Really I think you bring up a, a good point in terms of like the comfort of being in your own home and having a session in how we would as human beings respond differently in the comfort of our own home compared to if it was a professional healthcare office. I know we talk mm -hmm. sometimes about white coat syndrome and how that really can change you're in your footy pajamas for little kids, I'm sure, compared <laughs> to um, when they have when mom slips them out to the office. Yeah, absolutely. And even for for older clients or again, for young adults or um, adolescents and you're kind of thinking like, you're having a moment at some point and you're like, well, what would, what would my therapist tell me to do? Right. And you're kind of like trying to have some visualization and then suddenly, so you're like, your imagery is right. Like sitting in the office chair and like, let me like try to see this. And I imagine that you get a lot more generalization if like, you're actually, okay, well, what about when I was like sitting on my bed the other day and she told, and she coached me through this moment, that's sort of like more accessible to pull up. Um, and maybe mm -hmm. to, generalize like in your everyday life and again because a session in an office is like 45 minutes of your whole week and that's a really really small percentage of time it makes me uh curious in terms of when it's children i'm sure we encourage the right for them to say yes and no to things but they don't necessarily have full control over their health like their mom made their appointment or their dad or their guardian and they're going to therapy and <laughs> i'm sure there's more to it but um they don't have as much autonomy and the deciding or even coming up with the idea to go to therapy and so I guess speaking more in terms of young adults adults teenagers maybe um do you have any advice for someone who may be looking for mental health guidance and it could be that they've experienced trauma or particular stressful or, or um, what they may consider a negative impact of their life or someone who say doesn't didn't have that designated trauma they just want to make sure that they're maintaining good mental health how would they, um, what advice would you have for them to kind of think about, okay, this is the time that I need to start going or? Yeah, sure. So I guess we're talking about two different, maybe types of referral situations. Um, mm -hmm. For someone who is taking a proactive approach, I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, and that gave, gives me food for thought actually about like some maybe different ways, different I don't want to say different marketing approaches, but like different things to offer in the sense of, you know, you go for like a physical wellness check once a year, 
Um, doctors are supposed to ask about your mental health too. <laughs> um, but is that something that could be offered? You know, that's something I'd be really open to and, and an interesting thought for me to move forward to, to explore a little bit. Um, you know, is there something like a mental health check-in every three months or something where, you know, it's with a clinician that you've established a relationship with rather than maybe your doctor who you see like once in a very blue moon and aren't gonna you know divulge or like have any heart to heart with um but maybe it's something where like you establish a relationship and then kind of you're in a good place there's nothing really too urgent or particular that you want to work on but like it's something that you'd like to keep on top of just like you would any other part of your health um and so that's sort of like a different service right than like that weekly therapy um that's more more typical so i think that's interesting food for thought on my end as well and i I think certainly a lot of private clinicians like myself are really flexible and open to those kinds of things. And we do have a lot more flexibility when like insurance is not involved, unfortunately, um, because a lot of limits and regulations and codes are, are placed on us, right? But if you're going private and you have the ability to do that, you know, that's something I'm quite open to and, and could see great benefit to. Um, so that would be sort of that that proactive potentially um, client, and then someone who is is experiencing a particular event, or maybe just experiencing some ongoing symptoms or challenges or concerns. You know, my best advice. You know, I think a lot of people sort of the biggest hint of like it's time to get some help is when is as i call it like impairment in your daily life right so there's a difference between being anxious or like you know when i go to bed at night i am like I'm a, my mind is going and i'm thinking about covid and i'm really anxious and like will i ever live to see whatever you know and, and having those anxious thoughts um and I think, you know, using myself as an example, I'm monitoring, like, is this something that I can then cope with myself and move on? Or is this getting to the point where it's truly impairing my sleep and I'm not getting enough sleep now or something like that? So it, that's a sleep example. Is this something that's impairing your work life, your friendships, your social life? Um, so really monitoring sort of that level of impairment. Um, although my best advice would be to reach out before it gets to that point, right? So if you feel like that's something that could happen or that you know, um, you know, the, the best help still is that proactive approach um, so that things don't get to that point. And then beyond that, you know, in terms of actually connecting and finding the help that you need, my advice is, is to, to approach it a little bit like shopping and dating. So thinking about, you know, you don't have to go with the first clinician that you speak with. Um, most clinicians, including myself, offer a free like 10 to 15 minute consultation call. Um, not that, and even beyond that, you can make a first appointment and from there not feel a great connection and move on. You could do that after three sessions. You could do it after six months. Um, you know, I think people get really nervous about taking the leap to make that relationship with a therapist. Um, but we're, we're prepared <laughs> on our side. We're not offended. Um, and, and we really do want what's, what's best and what's going to be the most helpful. So that often means even if you're quote unquote firing me, I'm gonna help you find someone else. Um, and I'm gonna pull from my referrals and people that I know. Um, I mean, you really don't think about it like that. So I hope that that's reassuring <laughs> to people. Um, and, and that that, you know, would certainly utilize those those consultation calls to get a little bit of a sense and even through there, you know, make appointments with two or three people and just kind of see who you who you connect with the most. I feel like that's super great advice because going back to like my not liking to speak to healthcare professionals, even less being one, like personally in my life, like I feel like I'd be like, I can't tell her that I don't want to go. Like, or, like I would feel so bad, but you just being like, no, we literally like just we want to help. We want to help you find the right person. Can be like very reassuring to somebody who wants to try it out, but is like that's one of their barriers. Like, mm -hmm. Not wanting to have them tell somebody they want to go a different direction. Yeah, absolutely, and it's. I, <laughs> similar to dating like we get ghosted sometimes as therapists we we just never hear from somebody again and and i understand i mean of course i would i would love for someone to just say i just wasn't feeling like it was the best fit 
you know, that to me, that's a great way to kind of be respectful and move on. Um, and even that being said, and again, if someone, if someone sent me that message, I would, I would respond with, if there's any way I can support you in finding someone who is a better fit, I'd be happy to do so. So, you know, I hope that, um, that part isn't a barrier for someone to start, right? Like the fear of it ending, right. I don't want to be to get in the way of the potential to even start. Um, but I completely understand why that is the case. And, you know, when you go to your, when you go to a doctor, it's not like the doctor themselves picks up the phone to like make your appointment. So it's a little bit of a different, more, maybe more intimidating dynamic when it's like me, that's going to pick up (laughs) your, (laughs) make your schedule. I think you bring up a good point in terms of like, we're three healthcare professionals on this call and anyone who's listening or listening to the recording down the road is that yes, of course, like we own a business. That's how we make a living, but we chose our passion or we chose our career path because it really is a passion. So by no means do we want to ever be in this like professional relationship with someone who doesn't feel comfortable. Like you wouldn't want to date someone knowing that they feel totally uncomfortable to show up to your house for dinner. (laughs) Like just like any nutrition, personal training, mental health um, session you have is that it's okay to be a few sessions in and call it quits like it's okay to be a few dates in and call it quits it's also okay to date someone and be with a mental health not that it should be the same person it should be to with a mental health professional for six months or a year and then decide it's not a good fit and that's totally okay and you could always come back like in some ways you know you sometimes similar to dating it it sort of serves a purpose for a particular time in your life right so let's say you are working with someone for a year and you've worked on a lot of things and it's been really helpful and then you're feeling like there's something else you need out of it. And, and again, I think hopefully therapists are fairly self-aware about their approach and, and what they offer, what some of their specialties might be, what, what, what they're, the type of service they're providing. So if something new or different or you know develops and this person is needing something else or different than what you were currently doing for that successful year, like, well, we did great work for that year. And, and now it looks like you need this again, just like any other physical ailment, right? Like if you're being treated for X, Y, or Z, but then something else develops, well, then you bring in a different doctor to develop, to, to treat something else, right? You don't stick with your heart doctor when all of a sudden your lung is failing, you know, it's, then you bring, then you go to another doctor. So, right. We're truly advocates for our patients and happy to advise next steps whether or not we're participating in it. Yeah, absolutely. Beyond therapy and beyond meeting with a clinician, what other advice do you have for like maintaining strong mental health or day-to-day better or good mental health, I guess? This is really important in these times, right? In COVID, (laughs) um, particularly, it's really shed light on that. Um, I would say I... I maybe take half the advice that I provide and the other half is that when I tell people to like get dressed every day and stick to a routine. <laughs> I, oh, so pajamas all day or not. <laughs> yeah. Noted. I think that you do what works for you. I I think some people really are impacted by like getting dressed in the morning and that really like sets the tone for their day and makes a huge difference. I think for me, I'm truly happier in my flannels. So I keep them on <laughs> and, and think about uh, one day I'll have to go back to wearing real pants and I will when it's necessary. Um, but yeah, so for some people, those types of routines are really important. And for me, you know, you want to just think about which part of your routine is important. So for me, it's not the getting dressed but it is going outside and taking like exercise walks, which requires me to get dressed. So, (laughs) but not, not in my jeans or my work clothes, I'm wearing my, my gym clothes. Um, and whereas my, one of my very best friends is her job is fully on zoom and she gets dressed every day. She puts her like a work outfit on. Um, it's admirable. (laughs) (laughs) So, so figuring out, I think what part of your routine really does make a difference for you and, and sticking to it and trying to have a schedule, particularly in these times is hugely important. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I talk about, you know, the physical aspect of things and keeping moving, um, getting fresh air, of course, um, that's really a goal for myself every day and, and something I talk about with clients. And unfortunately, 
It's not something everyone is able to do right now um, or just make it a priority. So even just like walking down the block and, and fitting it in in any way um, is super important. Uh, maintaining those social connections is huge. I think, you know, it's maybe easy for maybe us Jillian in New York City um, you know, I, I feel comfortable meeting friends for a walk right now and, and getting outside and wearing masks and doing that safely. Uh, but maintaining those social connections in any way you can. I think a long time ago, we would have never considered having a meal in 40 degree weather and suddenly I'm able to. Yeah. <laughs> it means seeing my friends, right? I'm suddenly tolerating <laughs> sitting at the Smith in 45 degrees. So, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's what works for you. And, you know, the, I think the social piece is just so huge for people's mental health um, and then and, and caring for your physical body too, which is eating healthy and, and you know, sort of, again, that self-awareness, I think, of, of understanding, like, I'm not having such a good day today. Why might that be? What can I make? What can I do better? Um, and that's another way, you know, obviously speaking to someone is, is helpful in, in gaining that awareness and that insight into your own habits and you know, mood states. Yeah. I don't know, developing new ways to socialize even, you know, friends who live across the park, like, like let's meet in the middle and take a walk. You would never do that. You would go sit at a bar and drink. <laughs> now, mm -hmm. now, you know, you're, you're contributing a lot to your health in different ways. And it's, uh, it's been an interesting, I guess, opportunity in some ways, this pandemic, not one that I, you know, I, I could have done without the lessons, but I'll take the lessons I got, I guess. Now that we have them, for sure. Now, now that we have them, yes. I think you two ladies brought up a good point in terms of speaking about earlier, we talked about imposter syndrome and how sometimes we feel like we're not the professionals in a way. Um, and I think it speaks to, I'm sure you guys have had a lot of clients say, oh, well, I can't do that because that's not my career. Like, you're perfect at working out. You're perfect at eating because that's your job. Or someone may say to you, like, you're perfect at mental health because it's your job. And I think it's important to take the moment to remind people that, like, we are human, too. And, like, we are dealing with the pandemic just like you. And so, yeah, we may know how to, like, make a fun smoothie recipe. And we may know how to, like, do some burpees and some meditation. But we are also human in the same shoes as you are and taking sure. it taking it one day at a time. And so um, we don't have all the answers, of course. Like, 2020 in a pandemic is one of a kind and the three of us are definitely not alive for the previous one 100 years ago and it kind of just puts things into perspective a little bit where we're all learning our new tips and tricks and new ways to de-stress um, alongside you and I think that's a pretty valuable lesson where we can have like that one-to-one -one connection where we're literally dealing with the pandemic together versus it feeling like I know all the answers you're going to learn as you go type of a feel. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly, I guess, more of a traditional old school therapy approach was to for the therapist to be very, very like stoic and blank slate and really not let <laughs> on to anything that they're feeling or thinking at all. Um, and maybe some still practice like this, but I mean, ho hopefully you can tell that that's not my style and I try to be really relatable and not that I'm divulging a ton of personal information, but things that people are struggling with that are pandemic related, I'm like, me too. <laughs> um, and I try to be as relatable as possible. I don't, you know, I, I don't, um, it's important to me not to give that air of like, well, this is my job. So I've got this mental health stuff all under control. Like, you know, yeah. nobody does, but I can mm -hmm. tell you some of the steps that, you know, I notice have been important for me or, you know, that, you know, the importance of getting help when it does get to a certain point. Um, and that that is something that is true for everybody, whether you're in the field or not. I know the new year is a very popular time to make resolutions and, when we are recording this, it, it is going to be the new year very soon. Um, it's going to come out a little bit after the new year. And what are your thoughts on New Year's resolutions? And being that this episode comes out um, a little bit into 2021, would you encourage people to still make positive changes even though it's not the new year anymore? Yeah, this is interesting. Again, I think this is such an individual thing. Um, 
my gut instinct is I don't need like the new year, you know, December 31st and January 1st, there's really no difference. Um, so I sat on the couch for both of them this year. I don't know. Yeah, so if uh, you want to make a positive, healthy change, you can do it at any time. You don't need to, to wait for January 1st to do it. Um, I think it often puts a lot of pressure on and um, starts to, um, you get into bad habits, right? With like making some sort of resolution. And then you start, like you said, in the very beginning of, of language that gets tricky of like, oh, I was so bad today. I did, you know, I ate this or I didn't work out, right? And, and you're not bad for any of those things. And foods are not bad or they're just more or less nutritious than others. And that's fine. Amen. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do my yeah. good work, right? <laughs> um, and so that's I, it, mic drop. <laughs> I think that um, resolution, you know, when people make resolutions that you kind of fall into those traps. Um, and you, you, you um, risk like lack of self-compassion in that way, right? You wanna, we need to be kind to ourselves and we wouldn't talk about other, we wouldn't talk about our friends like that. So why are you talking to yourself like that? Um, that being said, some friends that I have, like for some reason, it, it, it's really helpful for them to just feel like they turn over that new leaf and they get a fresh start, even though it was no different than 24 hours ago. Um, but that's my take. And so again, it's so individualized. If you feel like that's motivating and it helps you stick to a healthy habit that you are motivated to stick to, that's great. Um, I, you know, I just caution against that, you know, the pressure that builds or, or the language that we use to speak about ourselves or to ourselves. Um, so it's kind Absolutely. of, Kind of up to you what works what works for you i'm happy to support <laughs> That's awesome. and we're all human it's okay if if what is your goal you don't execute it's okay if you don't close all three rings on your apple watch right and some I, days I, I'm, I guess i i'm fitness minded as well as you know and i'm as young women i'm sure most of us are and i've been saying since since March, I guess, like if it's the only thing I got in this pandemic is a few extra pounds or even 10 or 15 extra pounds, I'm one of the lucky ones. Like, you know, if that's, if that's all that's happened. Right. So, um, you know, really maintaining perspective, which is really hard, but um, yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, based on everything that we've talked about so far, is there any not necessarily, I know we talked about like how as a community we're going to handle 2021 a little bit, but in terms of like trends in the field, do you see um, big trends or new things coming up from like the one year, five year, 10 year mark? Is it hard to predict based on the industry? Yeah, it's, that you've seen? it's hard to predict. As I said, I think telehealth is, 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 is certainly a new and it's not new, but it's it's going to be trending, <laughs> I think. Right, um, totally. More than it used to be. Uh, so I think that's definitely to come. Um, psychology often sees sort of like waves of approaches. So um, there's been very, very behaviorally oriented waves. There's been very um, insight oriented waves to approaches. There's been very let's mix them together now and um, approach things and, and, you know, approach things from a humanistic perspective. So things like that, there's all these kind of waves in the field that occur. Um, I guess hard to know what, which way the pendulum swings sometimes, but um, different things gain momentum and popularity. Um, I think some more um, like brain-based approaches are gaining a little bit of momentum. It's not something that I have a huge amount of experience or knowledge to share about, but it's certainly, again, with, you know, increasing technology and things, there's like these cognitive remediation and more like technologically based um, approaches that are coming out, which certainly um, could be interesting and wonderful, but would need a lot of, you know, research and studying that perhaps is out there preliminarily, but it's not really an area that I'm too familiar with. Um, but I would think that's sort of maybe part of the next wave of, of approaches or mm -hmm. trends to come. It's so funny you said tra uh, trends and waves. And I don't know about you, but I immediately thought of like, okay, yep, in the 90s, it was like, everything has to be low fat. And then like 
uh, five, ten years later, everything, sugar was the problem of everything. And then like five, ten years later, everybody needs to have high fat everything. It's like <laughs> you can see and scale back yeah, yeah. Um, from when we no were born. Carb, low like, carb, low right. kind of carb, net right. carbs, some carbs. And then if you, exactly. And then it's funny, like, because if you look at textbooks from 20, 30 years ago for nutrition, even with the waves changing, the basis has like practically always been the same. Like eat good stuff, not too much, <laughs> exercise, move your body, stay hydrated, get some sleep, take care of your mental health, like live life, have fun. It's like this, right. um, but these ways yeah. do come and go. Yeah, it's, I think, not complicated, but it's not easy. So it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, a balance. Um, I definitely do see with adolescents and young adults, you know, having to really commit to the work that it takes um, for positive change. But also when I work with kids, it's the parents who kind of want me to, to fix um, and to change things and, and a lot of work that goes into kind of, well, I'm bringing him into you for, you know, for 45 minutes every week, fix it. <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. Um, and, you know, you're right that really with the exception of like a true traumatic event, like one event, um, an accident, a, a loss, you know, a, a 9-11 type situation, a COVID, I guess, if it's an event, now it's an ongoing, I don't know what to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but with the exception of those, really all of our mental and emotional experiences are the product of our development, which is both, you know, our natural genetic predispositions and the experiences that we've had. So it's really a combination and it builds on it. And this one is affected by this one. And, and it's really, really intertwined. So yeah, it takes a lot of work. (laughs) Um, And there really are very few, if any, quick fixes for sure. Well, wrapping up, is there anything else that you want to share with us or any thing that we didn't cover that you want to go over? Um, I don't, not much. One, I thought one interesting tidbit I thought I would share um, as, a, as a kind of funny example, funny, sad, awful example of, of um, I guess my personal experience and professional experience kind of meeting together um, in, a, in a funny brainstorm moment, but I have this is really not in a professional sense at all, but I created a Facebook group for brides of COVID-19 because I am one of them. (laughs) And this sort of dawned on me in March, I guess in March, yeah, my wedding was supposed to be in April, um, that I think, and I'm not really that kind of, like I'm not a Facebook group starter or poster or anything like that, but I felt like, being in the position myself as a psychologist and someone who I guess wants, who both needed the support, but also wanted to sort of create a community um, to provide support for for others in my position. And um, again, it's not in a professional capacity at all. It's an open Facebook group. but it has been like in its own way strangely rewarding hearing how helpful the group has been to people and it's again not as if i'm like professionally moderating in any way um you know at times i'll comment again but like more in a personal sense um and i would say the only thing that came a little bit professionally was sort of like the introduction of the group was was um i don't know that other people would have had the idea i guess is what i'm saying yeah as not a therapist right um so the idea itself i think came into to some degree from a from a professional place but um that's been sort of this interesting (laughs) um experience that i just think about that crossover between you know my professional experience and then my personal tragedy yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh that's so smart <laughs> that was like such a smart idea yeah yeah and I a lot of friends have joked like you should provide provide therapy for brides like that should be your niche <laughs> which um to be honest it's very stressful planning a wedding and I think a lot of brides need some therapy <laughs> and it could be very very short term and solution focused and um if that's the case I'm your girl <laughs> there you go <laughs> Yeah. Noted. 
pretty funny. Uh, but yeah, it's been cool. It's cool to see people supporting other people. It's been, a, you know, I think particularly in like that bridal space, it can be very, very competitive um, and really unsupportive in terms of women. And it's been really nice to see like really quite the opposite of everyone being really supportive given the situation that we're, we're going through. So obviously I am from central Minnesota and I'm not in New York. How does that work with your New York state license? Can you see people like me who are out of state or are you currently just seeing clients in the New York state? Tell us about that. It's tough. Um, I don't know this offhand because I haven't had it haven't had to to pursue this i know other clinicians definitely have where particularly now people are like just changing their location for six months or going you know mm -hmm. i live in new york but i'm gonna go to florida for for you know a year or something like that where you know i guess at the very base level our license is is state specific there yeah. are some states that do have reciprocity and you can easily be licensed in another state again i haven't had to go through that process yet i'm sure i will at some point um so I, in, in some ways it's on a case by case basis and, you know, for other clinicians, I would say the best is to call there, a lot of times you can, there's like free sort of like ethical hotlines <laughs> um, and you'll, you could explain the situation and get some like advice in that sense. Cause I guess it's not quite the law that governs this. Right. But it's like the, the ethics of our profession. Right. Um, so that's the kind of, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of information that, that clinicians would have to scope out. Although I guess now that I think about it, it could be a legal issue if you're providing services in a state that you're not licensed to provide them in. Um, but, but yeah, there's definitely uh, sort of professional networks that, that you can get answers to like that. But I mean, at the very basic level, if you in Minnesota called me for a session right now, currently I could not provide it. Right. Um, so that we can't stay on after. Said, so right. <laughs> that being said, um, if I if that was something that someone wanted to pursue, I would make a few calls and see if there is something that allows me to do that. And sometimes there might be. Right. I think you bring up a good point with telehealth expanding and where um, it's definitely an awesome opportunity of telehealth where we can see people wherever, whenever, but then also there are still guidelines within our profession in terms of the state. Um, if your business is in the state, but your client's out of or vice versa, like how does that work? And so yeah. um, is it okay with you if someone's uncertain, if you would be, if someone wanted to reach out to you for services, would you be okay with someone reaching out to you um, to find out if that's a possibility? And if not, maybe yeah. you can guide them on a way to referral. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm happy to look into it. As I've said, it just hasn't come up yet. Um, I guess it's sort of a way of advertising yourself too, right? I advertise as a New York licensed psychologist and people then within the state search for New York licensed clinicians. Um, <laughs> definitely comes up though, um, very commonly for kids in college. So they may have a therapist and then they go to another state for college and they want to continue with the same therapist, understandably, either through, te you know, through telehealth usually. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's things like in those situations that there can be sort of like granted rights <laughs> um, and things again mm -hmm. that to, to look into and find out about, so. If you can maybe say out loud um, your contact information if someone wanted to get in touch with you, like your social handles, your email, and then we'll make sure we include it in sure. um, any documents that we reach out as well. Sure. I do have a website for my own virtual therapy service, um, which awesome. is very consistent with what we've been talking about. And that's www.drjamiemaris.com. And Jamie is J-A-I-M-E-M-A-R-R-U-S. And the doctor is just D-R, no period, anything, Dr. Jamie Maris. Um, so you can reach me there. There's contact information on there. I, I'll send it to you in writing also so you can see it or post it or anything like that. Perfect. Um, but there's phone number, email, contact page, all of that stuff on there. And that's my own um, telehealth practice. Uh, I work also, you know, for, again, the younger kids and um, more of that expertise on the autism spectrum. And I'm, I'm in a private group practice 
um, which I'm happy to send you the information for as well. Um, and ho hoping actually uh, to expand a little bit um, in my own space, but uh, join another practice as a contracted position where I'd be able to get referrals. That's hopefully in the works. So I can't give information about that yet. Um, of course. But um, certainly going through my website and, and I'm happy to, to um, talk out any, any concerns or questions. Well, thank you so much for your, so appreciative of your time and being able to give us all of your knowledge about mental health and making sure that as a community of healthcare professionals and as a community at large, we make sure to never let our own mental health go astray or not something that we should always be conscious of. And um, maybe one more question I can ask is, is there any signs or red flags? Like say, if we have a loved one that we're concerned, of course, it's not our say to say, you need to go to J Dr. Jamie, but is there something <laughs> where um, you recommend, like if a loved one does see a red flag, like what would those red flags be? And what's the best way to approach recommending them? Yeah, that, that's the source of a lot of family conflict, right? <laughs> someone telling someone yeah. else that they go to therapy. Um, right. I, I would say, you know, significant red flags, like, you know, that you'll be able to recognize is, is real changes in functioning, right? It goes back to that impairment. So real changes, and I would recommend that that's where the discussion about it um, is based off of as well. So if it just comments like, I notice you're sleeping a lot more, you know, is everything okay? I notice you're not eating so much, is everything okay? Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed you're crying a lot, you know, make it really observation based and pretty concrete. Um, and, you know, I, I think of course, just sending the message that you're there and you're there to help. And um, possibly I think, you know, what, what we've talked a little bit about is it's how hard it could be to get started, what the barriers could be to that. So I think as a family member or friend, um, maybe that's a spot where, you know, hey, I'll, I'll look at, through the list on the computer for you, you know, with you. Um, let's make a list of some people that maybe you can call, you know, helping a little bit with the logistics of it, uh, I think is, is probably a good place to be rather than trying to counsel or, um, or take right. on too much of that, of that tricky role that our loved ones may not want to hear from us. <laughs> um, but, but it's important. And, and when you do observe significant changes in, in a loved one's behavior, that's, it's important to know it and to ask about. Awesome. Thank, well, thank you. you so much. We now know we have to come from a place of love. Yes. <laughs> Careful recommendations, but definitely yeah. super important recommendations. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jamie, for your time. Uh, we will make sure that whoever listens to this call, if you guys need her contact information, we'll definitely tag it and link it. Um, and we hope to have more conversations with you down the road. Yeah, I would be happy to. Thank you. It's, it's fun. It's fun to talk about what I do. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you feel awesome. the same way. When you, when you enjoy what you do, it's kind of fun to, uh, to get to talk about it, especially to other professionals. So. Well, that's it, team. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Eat Healthy, Live Healthy podcast. We hope you had a great snack while listening to this episode, and we can't wait until next time. Until then, you can find us on social. Our lovely friend Emma is at Back to Basic Nutrition. That two is the number two. And you can find Jillian at eat.train.love.nyc. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share this episode with your friends and family.